Welcome to the Fan Bros, the show where the bros are fans. And welcome, internets, to another episode of Fan Bros, the show where the bros are fans or something to that extent. It's your boy DJ Ben Amin, aka the Butcher of Names, also known as the William Shatner of Hip Hop, DJ Scroll. Former Herald of Galactus, all that good stuff. I'm here in the spaceship tonight on Fan Bros Show, the voice of the urban geek. And I am joined by my lovely co-host, Tatiana King-Jones, the Grand Duchess of Tech, also known as the Uhura of the Spaceship, Black Russian, Black Rogue, all that. Uh. Uh, nice and short and sweet nice to the and point. Sweet. Also in the spaceship tonight, we have... Kimsonian, a.k.a. Space Ghost producer, a.k.a. Vermithrax pejorative, look it up, <laughs> a.k.a. Blackwoman. <laughs> I can swim. And I talk to the fishes in Ebonics. Wait a minute, where did that come from? Blackwoman. Blackwoman. Was that was that new while I was out? That's all new. Nah, That's that all new. that just debuted on this episode right here, folks. You're witnessing history. Blackwoman. Ben wants me to have a Star Trek name, and I said I wanted to be that dude, uh, Frank Gorshin's character, who's half black, half white from the original series. You know from the original set? Like, Nobody remembers this one. <laughs> no, no, he's a costume. Yeah. He's not mixed. Oh, no, the guy that's half black, <laughs> half white. He's literally half black, half white. That episode was about race and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. All right. I want to be that dude, and I totally forgot to get his name. So I'm going with Black Woman. <laughs> <laughs> I talk to fishes, and I keep it real with the fishes underwater. All right. As long as you don't sleep with the fishes, because we nope. need you here, Kinsonian. That's right, folks. It's Fan Bros Show, the voice of the urban geek. I hope everyone out there has been having a great week. Whenever you're listening to this episode, we've been having all kind of things going on here. First up, got to big it up. We finally did it. We opened up Fan Bros Shop, the official store of Fan Bros Show. You can find them both on fanbros.com. The store is open. T-shirts are flying off the internet racks. The shirts are amazing. The throw pillows are amazing. The throw throw, pillow. The throw pillow is so pimp. You wouldn't think we would have something like throw pillows, but those joints are so dope. Fan Bro Show throw pillows. Get your Fan Bro Show logo throw pillows. You can get your Listen to Fan Bros t-shirts, your iPod, iPhone, iPad cases, all that Galaxy good stuff. Galaxy S5 cases, yep. man. I saw that too. Yeah, we have it all. T-shirts, sweatshirts. Oh, I so wanted to sing the Shoe City song right there for <laughs> all my DC residents. <laughs> Shoe City. Yo, City. <laughs> we have this special shirt, too. Yes, we do. We have an amazing True Blood-themed special shirt designed by Ty the Robot. It is My Mayor is a Dog. You need to check it out. Available now on fanbros.com. My mayor is a dog. A big dog or a little dog? He's a little dog, man. <laughs> you know, he's a nice little cute dog. Hop on one leg. Like I said, <laughs> if we can't have a black president, why can't we have a mayor who is a dog? That's all I'm saying, folks. We want this shirt to get out to everybody because we're really hoping that HBO takes notice of this and starts mm-hmm. up the True Blood spinoff. Or don't send us a C&D. No, don't send us a C&D. Start up a spinoff. <laughs> don't sue us for the money we ain't got. <laughs> Just start up a spinoff and make some more money for yourselves. Yes. Yes. My Mayor is a Dog needs to be a show on HBO ASAP Rocky. So go to fanbros.com, cop some shirts. Get some throw pillows, get yourself an iPod case, some stickers, whatever you want. It's all there. 
That's right, fanbros.com. And speaking of fanbros.com, we're always looking for more writers, more art, more anything that will add to the fanbros mission of taking over the world. Since we've just got fanbros shop started, we're about to start up fanbros TV. So if you've got mm. ideas for videos, for movies, for TV series, any of that good stuff, we are starting up Fanbros TV, soon to be the biggest multimedia conglomerate yes. in the world. So Are we about to have a sitcom too? Yeah, I can like, see it happening. Like where you open the door and then a whole bunch of people start clapping for you? <laughs> I'm Kramer. Or are you, walk in, are you walk in like when Cheers and they go, Norm, like that, but they go... Bet on me. I could deal with that better than being Kramer. Ah, okay. Because even though I am a racist, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, everyone to know about it. Yeah. So <laughs> Fan Bros. <laughs> just the what? listeners of this show. Yeah. So Fan Bros. TV coming soon. If you have any ideas, anything at all that will help, fanbros.com, send them to us at contact at fanbros.com. That's contact at fanbros.com. Looking for more writers. Big up to everybody currently writing for fanbros.com. Articles pouring in. Always new, fresh stuff. Dopeness going on. We need to shout out our new edition, The Doodles. What's the name of that new segment? The new segment is called Quick Shots and is, uh, what? what's the word I'm looking for? It's drawn i but i want i want something more more illustrated flourish. it's illustrated thank yes. you it's illustrated by miss may rose who's um known as um my may rose on twitter that's m a e and and she's doing a fabulous job uh i really really liked her um her her most recent doodle which shows um like the reboot care uh, support it's like a reboot care support network apparently there's so many reboots reboots now that ah, yes, these yes, movies yes. need help so I thought that was really clever and cute of her. But um, she's going to be posting you semi-weekly, and they're going to be all about fandom, anything in the fan bros realm. Yes, so quit shots on fanbros.com. Doodles, we're also looking for more art. Still waiting on some really sick fan art of us. I really want somebody out there to do up a nice one of all the fan bros team and all our guests as our Star Trek aliases. <gasps> That's so dope. Yes, like I want to be the William Shatner of hip-hop. The her of the spaceship. I want the short skirt with the mini mini with the go go boots. Man. Yep. The Kimsonian can be the black white dude who nobody right. can remember his name. <laughs> left. We, well, you're white on the left side and then black right, on the right, right side. Right, right. It's we like got, or the other way middle. around. Yeah, yeah. We got Chico Leo as the Ferengi. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah. Did he sign up for that? He actually yeah, he named said, himself. Yeah. He named the himself. Ferengi. And it's amazing how much he looks like that dude. Too. Wow. Once again. When you think Quark. Yeah, Quark. When you when you make me think about it, yes, that's actually very true. Like you can see Quark in Chico's face. <laughs> so disrespectful. <laughs> that's a quote. Oh yeah. <laughs> also, you know, we got who else? We have uh, Maceo is Doctor Spock of the spaceship. That's right. You know, uh, Just Blaze is Worf. Yes. So we need you know somebody out there. Fan Bros Art. We're looking for submissions all the time, anytime, any place. Hit us contact at fanbros.com. And remember, fan bros, while you're on fanbros.com, don't forget about our beautiful donate button. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per day, you can help the fan bros stay in business. And hey, you know, when you're done donating, like I said before, <laughs> make sure you go get yourself a fan bro shirt. Yes! It's all kind of ways to support and give to the mission, help us take over the world, rule it with an iron fist. Promo, promo, promo. All that good stuff. You know, I, I got to say something, Tim Sony. We've been talking about, you know, um, we mentioned a few weeks ago how 
and now they're Lenny Kravitz and Jason Momoa yep. are superheroes in their own right. That's right. You know, just for the having uh, I don't want I don't know what copulated with Lisa Bonet. Copulated. <laughs> 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 All right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So because they've been with Miss Lisa Bonet, they, they are they now have j- somehow gotten. They got the mist. They got the golden mist. Okay. Yeah. Like you know the glow is with them. The glow. Yeah. We also Last, have to add. Um, I don't want to butcher his name. Yes, you do. Alcee, the actor known as Joe. Maga. Maganiello. <laughs> there you go. Maganiello. Yeah, yeah Maganiello. That, that sounds cool. Yeah, is the word on the street is that he's now dating Sofia Vergara. Ooh. Yeah, and so that's a sexy couple. And he just got killed on True Blood last week. Spoiler alert! But, but yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about that. Not everybody Not listens everybody. to Special Delivery. Well, you yeah. Know, you should be. Yeah, yeah you should be listening delivery. to Special Delivery, where we distrust the death of Alcide. But you know, Alcide might have gotten killed this week. But Joe, you have now just you know said yeah, whatever his, to that. His career is not dead. Joe's oh, been no. beyond that for a while now, though. Yeah, true indeed. But I he mean, he did Magic Mike. <laughs> he's now, <laughs> and he was good at Magic Mike too. And, but now he has moved into the upper echelon. So, fan bros, we salute you over here. Congratulations on all your moves. Well wishes. Tatiana, though, I heard you have some, you know, film news that isn't so, you know, great. I, 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 I'm feeling like a, a sickness come over me as I think about it. Wow. Seriously. Wow. Disturbing. I saw Transformers this past weekend. Oh. Mm. Let me say, I've never thought a movie in the worst way possible could make me, could, could create so much bad stimuli. That I feel sick, physically, literally, figuratively, whatever you want to say. I felt sick after watching it. My joints ached. My eyes retired. Broke out in hives. Broke out in hives. You know, like it was. I mean, I, I have no words. It's terrible. So, so tell you, us how you really feel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wait, you paid for it? Somebody <laughs> took you? I was literally dragged to this movie against my will, and I sat there arms folded like, I can't believe I'm sitting here right now. And thank God it wasn't 3D. It was just a regular one, but that was bad enough. It was the worst experience in movie history. And someone told me, I tweeted it out, and someone said, oh, it's not that bad. I said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. It is that bad. I couldn't even get up and leave. Wow, I, I couldn't wow. save myself. Did you guys see it at all? No, 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 no. Yeah. I made the smart choice. Oh, it's. I mean, you've already read about people saying that it's a bad movie. It doesn't make sense. And it's like Michael Bay has ADHD and every scene is a jump cut and uh, everything's and wrong. I heard that Ken Watanabe uh, plays a Ken? giant what? Uh, Japanese samurai robot. If you want to talk about somebody falling off. That's racist. <laughs> if you want to talk about somebody falling off, how does he go from that to a Japanese robot? Mind you. I mean, what did he go from? From saying, let them fight in Godzilla? I, I mean, Inception and stuff and other stuff prior down to here. <sighs> and then to say, let them fight. that It was a downhill spiral. But the point is, <laughs> Wait, he's well. not in the movie. His voice. His voice. Yeah. He voices one of the you know robots. What? You know what? Power to you, my man, Ken. Get that VO check. <laughs> Get that where you don't have to show up. You just mail it in. Pro Tools, that shit. Get your check. Never mind he's voicing the only, I guess, visibly Asian 
uh, robot in the movie, but it's a Japanese robot who is a samurai who turns into a Bugatti car. He has a, <laughs> he has a Bugatti logo on his chest. Wait, but then, he's Italian. Listen, but then but then he has he has a samurai. He's a samurai, right? So he has a samurai sword, the katana. If he puts the katana on his head, he turns into a helicopter. Oh wow! So Bugatti now makes helicopters. I mean, why not? Take yeah. it what you will. Bugatti makes Transformers. <laughs> basically basically transformers is a very loud crass movie that literally doesn't have doesn't make any sense and a lot of people use that loosely so it didn't really make sense no it it really did not make sense from one point to another and it was a bigger commercial than all the other three movies combined so the other thing is that transformers 5 like you guys talked about last week is set for 2016 i believe yes All right, so you'll be first online for that. Mm. I mean, come on, he's got your money four times. Why not the fifth? He didn't. Uh, he didn't get my money the first three times. Oh, yeah. Tatiana, I mean, I saw it. Tatiana got the bootleg hookup. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Flickerachi, what up? What up? <laughs> yeah. Shout out Flickerachi. Word up, but we've got a big show ahead of us. We won't distrust Transformers anymore. None of that. Hopefully, hopefully it doesn't rear its ugly head uh, around here again until <laughs> 2016. I felt like Sideshow Bob. <laughs> <laughs> but we've got a huge show with special guest Galore. So let's take a quick break right here, and we'll be right back with more fan bros. Hi, this is Kari Randolph. When I'm not art hustling and pimp juicing, I am listening to the fan bros. And welcome back, Internet, to this very special episode of Fan Bros Show. It's your boy, DJ Ben Amin. We are joined by the current artist of... Thief of Thieves, the author of How to Draw Noir Comics, and a partner in Verge Entertainment. Welcome Sean Martinborough to the episode. How you doing, sir? Doing very well. Thanks for having me. I just welcomed you to an episode, but you know, that's how we're going to do on Fan Bros Show tonight. Glad to have you, sir. Thank you for checking in with us on the Fan Bros Show. How you doing, man? You good? Doing very well. How about yourself? Everybody okay there in the studio? Yeah, man. It's not too bad tonight. New York City in the summer. It's a great time. Nice and balmy. (laughs) Nice and balmy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Sean, you are the current artist on the hit comic book series Thief of Thieves, uh, which was started by you and Robert Kirkman, but has now moved on through a rotating set of writers while you've been the steady artist through it all. I'm a huge Kirkman fan, you know, off the bat, but I honestly just got into Thief of Thieves recently. I read the first two trades. I love it. Um, I'm really sorry I didn't get into it before. It's an amazing book to all the fan bros out there. You should check it out. It's the story of the Thief of Thieves, who is like a head thief and his family and him trying to get out of the game, but constantly being drawn back into it. Mystery, sex, violence. All that good stuff wrapped into one book written by, like I said, started by Kurtman, different sets of writers, and you know, your amazing art, Sean. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's, it's, it's a great series, a great project to be a part of. Uh, and like you said, uh, Kirkman really kicked, the, uh, kicked off the, the idea and invited me to be a part of it uh, in terms of uh, you know, doing all the artwork. And then uh, we had Nick Spencer, uh, working with Kirkman on the first outline and on the first story arc. And then he was followed by James Asmus. And then Andy Diggle came on board for the third arc. And now Andy Diggle is the regular writer on Deep of Thieves. So it's been pretty cool and pretty seamless working with three different artists um, 
and Kirkman in terms of like, you know, putting the whole thing together. Okay, well, that leads to my first question. How did you meet Kirkman and how did this collaboration start up? Kirkman reached out to me and um, he said he was a uh, fan of my work mm. and he thought that my style was really great and would fit a new project that he had uh, in the works. Um, I was like, okay, that, that sounds that sounds great. I hadn't read <laughs> so, had The Walking Dead at the time, though. So honestly, like I, I knew Kirkman from a really uh, interesting <laughs> um, YouTube video he had put out that went viral, where he basically was sort of railing against the comic industry and saying how Marvel and DC were kind of, you know, running, running on empty in terms of ideas and they need to sort of switch, switch things up and, and, and make things more interesting. I, I just remembered him from that. Um, but I, but then I, I was hearing like the buzz about, you know, the walking dead. I mean, it, it was very critically acclaimed and this is before the TV series. So, um, Kirkman reached out to me and said, Hey, like I said, he, he said he was a fan and he, he was going to be starting up a new series and he wanted to know if I'd be interested in working with him on it. So I said, all right, um, yeah, let's, let's, let's talk. And so once we worked out the particulars, he, he really, uh, share with me the, like the, his sort of broad arc for the series in terms of like where he wanted the characters to go. And then he would say, okay, here are the characters. And um, some characters had more descriptions than others, but uh, for the most part, he really left it, left it up to me to just design all the characters and really sort of approach the book in a visual style that I thought would fit. Um, so in that sense, it's been really great working with, with uh, Kirkman uh, because he's just given me like a ton of freedom. you know. And I've been, I've been pretty fortunate you know, by working in this industry for about – I've been working in the industry as a professional since 1992. I got my first work from Marvel Comics. And over the years, I've been very fortunate to work with, you know, really good writers, really good editors that have pretty much left me alone. You know, they, they have not said, hey, listen, can you change this? Can you change that? And I've worked with writers that are that pretty much know how to write for comics and they know not to overwrite and they know how to share the storytelling responsibility with the artist. So this really is like the capper, you know, the ultimate sort of freedom I've had and sort of going with Kirkman on this ride has been really um, fun, really cool. And then once, once, you know, we uh, uh, put together our deal, then the whole walking dead TV show hit. And then it was just like, bam, they just exploded. So sort of being, <laughs> you know, right next to the guy in the eye of the storm. So it's been a very interesting ride. So when Kirkman first called you up, it wasn't like you just heard the money truck just backing up to your front door. <laughs> no, no, no. Basically, he was like, "Listen, I can, I can match your Marvel and DC rate." Mm. And wow. And you know, when you hear that, that's great because most of the times when people come to you, they're like, "Hey, man, I got a great idea for a comic," and then you say, "Okay, well, what's your budget?" And then cue crickets. <laughs> or or then, then then it comes out like, "Oh, well, you know, I really don't have the money now." But I can offer you some ownership, and it's sort of like you know. And I tell people, if you're not familiar with comics, that's not that's not a good comp, and you know, like that's not right. a good thing to offer an artist ownership in a property because ownership can't pay your bills. Right. And also, you know, ownership is almost de facto these days. Just ask a lot of the guys that are going back and suing Marvel and DC Comics mm -hmm. for you know projects that they did under a work for hire agreement years ago mm -hmm. you know so you know so for me it really was a matter of you know uh robert really saying hey man i got a really interesting project i can you know you know i can pay comparable to marvel and dc so let's talk and and yeah so this is pre-walking dead hysteria you know it was really interesting because we um finalized our deal let's say i think it was like that august before the show started and the show started that october 
And I, I met with him. I met him in person at the New York Comic Con, which was maybe like a week or two before the show dropped. Wow. And when I was there, you know, listen, I mean, when you offer me free stuff, I'm, a, I'm the biggest hoarder on the planet. Like, <laughs> calm down, because that stuff can really fill up your apartment. And you're like, why did I take all this free stuff? But when we were there, like I, when I, you know, I met him in person, he was there at the Skybound booth and Skybound is his company that that he puts out his books through um, through and they have a deal with image. So whenever you see like, you know, his books, it usually says Skybound image. And um, they had this Skybound booth set up and they were just moving mad Walking Dead product like they were selling hardcover, you know, uh, copies at like 30 or 40 bucks a pop like hotcakes. And I was like, damn. And he was like, yeah, yeah, take whatever you want. And I'm like, OK, listen, let me get to the bottom of this whole Walking Dead thing, because I've been hearing all this, you know, this hype and people say it's so great. And so, you know, he gave me like, you know, whatever I wanted. And I slept like about eight hard copies, hard covers, like, you know, back to my car. And this is from the Javits Center. So, you know, you can't park anywhere near the right. Javits Center. So I probably walked about 10 blocks, slept in like a big bag of hard covers. But I was like, all right, let me let me let me read this thing. And I and this and I started reading it before the series dropped. And I was like, well, you know, this is this is I to start. But then I really got into it. I was like, you know, this is actually a page turner. You know, it, it really creeps up on you. And I and I tell everybody and I'm like, you know, of course, it's going to sound like I'm just, you know, pitching for Kirkman. But to be true uh, and to be honest, you know, there, there are whole sections where there are no zombies in The Walking Dead comics and it'll still have you on the edge of your seat because of the foul things that the people do. Oh, most and, definitely. I, I mean, I talk about it all the time. We're, we're hoping to have Kirkman on the show one day because I was one of the people who I read uh, Walking Dead from the first issue. Like I saw it on the shelves, picked it up and just went in. So I always, I've, we've been bigging that up and Invincible. I'm a huge fan. And that was one thing I noticed about Thief of Thieves. It, I mean, that's something I always say about Kirkman is it's amazing to me. He writes these page turning stories, but there would be such different genres. And then he does them, you know, so differently. Like Invincible is so different from Thief of Thieves, just like it's so different from Walking Dead and mm -hmm. so different from like Super Dinosaur. So it's like he can do these stories in a lot of different genres, which is one of my favorite things about him. And I, I know he had collaborations on Thief of Thieves, but it, you know, it still has some of his, you can feel his influence on it still. Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely, you know, agree. I think one of the things that's been really interesting about, you know, working with them on Thief of Thieves is how character-driven Thief of Thieves is. You know, a lot of people like to compare it to, you know, Ocean's Eleven or, you know, other heist movies. But I think it, in a way that's like a really easy comparison because like those movies are really sort of plot-driven, you know, where, you know, they got to go steal something. They got to sort of get, you know, get in and out at a certain time. Whereas if you read Thief of Thieves, Thief of Thieves is really character-driven. You know, it's all about, you know, the main character, Conrad, dealing with his what his you know, his ex-wife, his sort of wayward son, dealing with like, you know, the, the, the partners in crime that he's, you know, been working with for years and trying to sort of like, you know, leave the fold. But at the same time, you know, they're going to pull him back in and just it's just very character driven. And I, I know that by the time I got to about the fifth issue, I'm like, wow, this is just really character. And I think that's really cool because for me. You know, as an artist, I always appreciate a challenge and for, and I have just as much fun drawing an intimate scene between two people talking as a big car chase, you know, down Times Square. So it's been really interesting you know, to approach it as an artist. Oh, most definitely, because like that's the one thing I can definitely say after reading the first two trades, I'm already hooked in. Like, I really want to know what happens to Conrad and his son. I want to know 
and I'm not sure if this has already happened, if Conrad gets with his girlfriend or not, or does he, you know, solve the thing with his wife. Mm-hmm. So you've already, you know, it's already all these different plot threads, and I'm not even really concerned with is Conrad going to pull off this next, you know, mission or what's his next Ocean's Eleven type, you know, thing going to be. I just want to know more what happens to the characters. Yeah, I, I definitely, I, I think that you're right, and I think what's what's interesting about it is that, you know, you've had three different, well, including Kirkman, you've had four different writers, you know, but then again, Kirkman laid out the sort of outline for the for the series, and he's had the different artists come in and sort of, and, and write the individual arcs, and I think one thing that helps it seem so seamless is that they're kind of following the sort of general outline that Kirkman had for the characters, but also, I, I think what's really interesting now, um, now that you know, I'm working, I'm working on the fourth arc with Andy Diggle as the writer. You know, Andy is do, doing a very interesting job of not only wrapping up the storylines from all the previous writers, including his own for the third arc, but now he's sort of laying the groundwork for where he's going to start. You know, with the fifth arc, and like he and I happen, we happen to be in New York at the same time. I live in the I'm a native New Yorker, but I live in the Washington D.C. area, and Andy lives in um, the U.K. And so he was here. He was in New York for a convention. I was in New York for a convention last month, and we we're like, "Hey, let's 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 you know grab a beer in in Midtown." And we we hooked up in Hell's Kitchen at a restaurant, and just you know I had a great time just sort of catching up in person. But we were also kicking around ideas for where you know we would take the next arc and where we what we would do with the characters because it's almost like the fifth arc is going to be starting completely fresh in terms of like you know, him putting a stamp on it as a writer. Nice. Uh, that, that was also a question, and um, you just answered it right there. I was wondering how it was that with the different writers, they've still managed to keep the original story and the characters, like you said, keep it character-driven if they didn't really start or create the characters. Like, how do they know, okay, well, this is where, it, I guess they're just taking their own approach, but, and with Kurtman overseeing, and I know he's not like, well, kill Conrad off in this issue. You know, you don't want to just go yeah. against the grain of what it was started. So how like, are the different writers doing that? Well, it's interesting. He's described it as a writer's room. Now, I'm actually, I'm not actually there, and I don't think that, you know, I think that we're all in different places. I know that Nick Spencer lives in London, or he lives in the UK somewhere. Um, Andy Diggle's in the UK. James Asmus is, a, he comes from, he has like a Hollywood screenwriter background, so I think he was in L.A., uh, where Kirkman is, uh, Kirkman lives in both Kentucky and LA, but I think he spends a lot more time in LA now due to the walking dead TV show, but they were probably the most in, they were probably in a room the most out of all of us. Um, and I think that he would basically say, okay, this is pretty much what I want to happen in this arc. And, you know, you have the freedom to sort of, you know, figure out the steps, you know, the beats to get from point A to point C within it. And, and, and I, like I said, I think it's been pretty seamless. I think they all have, they're all different because I can tell as the artist, like there, there are differences between the, between the way Nick Spencer will approach dialogue and James Asmus and Andy Diggle. But I think what makes makes it flow is that they're all seasoned writers and they all know how not to overwrite and how to let the characters breathe and how to let the action and the drama breathe. You know, because a lot of times as an artist, like the biggest headache you'll have is a writer that will overwrite. And they'll crowd out the panels with like a ton of, you know, word balloons. And I think some of the best writers in comics are writers that understand that, you know, when you're writing a story with an artist, the artist is doing at least 50 percent. If not, I would probably say 60 to 70 percent of the heavy lifting storytelling wise, you know, so you don't have to write as much. You know, and I think 
those all of those guys having that understanding, it really made it flow. So I think it's actually kind of, you know, I think a seasoned person will be able to tell the difference between the writers, but I think overall, I think it flows really smoothly. So uh, another question is, how do you keep up with the monthly schedule? Is that troubling for you? Are you um, one of the artists who can, it's easy to keep up the monthly, or has that been a challenge in itself? Well, I'm sure that the, that the, the Kirkman Skybound guys would be like looking at me like with a side eye with that. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, sometimes, it, you know, when life happens, you know, you can kind of, you know, fall behind. But, you know, you, you, you want to stay on like a, like a good, like, a, like, a, like at least a monthly schedule in terms of, you know, putting out 20 pages a month. And for me, I can do a page a day comfortably. I mean, I can push myself to do more, but then, you know, you're talking about minimal hours sleep. So, um, but, you know, I have a, I have a, you know, a, a pretty good system in terms of like how I approach the, you know, approach the work. Like whenever I get a script, you know, whenever they email me the script, um, Sean Makowitz, who's our editor at Skybound, he'll shoot me the script and, you know, I'll read it over uh, once and then I'll, and then I'll read it a second time and then I'll make little sort of thumbnail layouts uh, from the script and that's pretty much where I do all of my editing like I'll kind of like go over the thumbnails like a few times just to sort of you know make decisions in terms of the angles the lighting and the pacing of the panels and then I'll, that'll be my blueprint so when I sit down to draw I'm literally following the layouts pretty closely and if you see copies if you see um you know like an example of my layouts they're almost like you know exactly what the final page is going to look like you know and, and so yeah, and so basically once I'm done drawing it out, and I, I pencil ink my own work, so I, I, I save the time for them having to send it to an inker. I scan the stuff in. It gets colored. Uh, Adriano Lucas is our colorist, has been doing a great job uh, on the book. You know, he colors the files, and then we all send the files back into Skybound. You know, they get a letter as well, so the letterer has the files. So we're all sort of like feeding the, le- the, the editor, and then he basically puts it all together, they send me a PDF to sort of proofread to make sure like there, there's nothing that that went wrong, and then it goes to the printer, and then you got a book. Nice. So do you uh, ink digitally, or do you do that in Photoshop or something? Yeah, and I'm old school. So my hands have black ink on them as as we speak right now. <laughs> you know, I mean, like my 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 fiance gets mad at me because like in my old apartment, like the walls would have like black smudges on them. Ah. Oh. Just as you know, just you're just walking around. You, you, I can't wash my hands after every single you know, break from the art table. So I'm strictly old school. Like I, I usually, I use like a Croquil brush, technical pen, Sharpie, um, you know, you name it. And and then what I do is I'll scan the final page of artwork into Photoshop and then I'll do some, some minor tweaks in Photoshop, but I don't, I don't use a Wacom tablet or anything like that. I'm strictly old school. Is that your personal choice or is it because you just feel like maybe the old school way brings out your art better or is there like any particular reason why you felt that you know doing the old school way is better for you i'd probably say it's just just organically like you know when i was when i went to school and when i became an artist i mean that was before computers you know Mm -hmm. so i mean i'm 43 years old now and when i was going when i went to music and art high school and i studied art there were no computer i mean computers were like in their infancy and then when i went to school of visual arts and i majored in illustration you know, you had those those sort of Mac, those those little I actually no, this is pre iMac. Yeah. Those those little beige, you know, Mac boxes were just sort of popping up. So you know, Photoshop wasn't even around really at that point. It really just started, you know, developing. So by the time I graduated from college, you know, people, you know, the industry standard, everyone was still working in the old-fashioned way. 
You know, computers really didn't start popping up until the millennium. So, and then once that happened, I'm already like, you know, I, I'm not going to sort of, you know, I kind of feel like I got my process. This is how I do it. And sort of, sort of just switch off and just do everything on the computer. It just, it's just not something I'd be interested in. But also though, from a commercial standpoint, when you do that as an artist, you're cutting off like another revenue stream because there's no original artwork anymore. Ah. So, and that's how, when you go to conventions, you know, you'll see a lot of artists selling original pages. And when you do all of your comics digitally, there are no original pages. Wow. So young artists out there take note because the original art is definitely a lucrative way to maintain your money coming in. You, so damn, I never, I never even really thought of that, but I mean, that's, it may, yeah, it's like one (laughs) of those things that makes perfect sense when you think about it. And I and I actually take a page from like Walt Simonson, who's like you know like a huge like you know one of my like long term influences, and he's a friend. He's a really great guy. And Walt does not sell any of his own artwork. In fact, if any artwork got away from him over the years, he will buy it back. Wow. He just sits on all his artwork, and I'm like, you know what? That's a good idea because I kind of feel like I'm going to be doing, you know, you know, as my career grows and as I do bigger and better things, hopefully, like the work will just appreciate. So uh. why cash out now? Geez, you're right. That means Walt sells all those Thor pages. That is all, all of the Thor pages. And what's really amazing, and I would, I, I, this is a total plug that's well deserved for Walt. If any, if there are any fans out there of Walt Simonson's artwork from the Thor days, you got to pick up those IDW um, artist edition books. Ooh. They're they're these huge books that are they're they're about eleven by seventeen in size, but they have all of his artwork. All of his original pages from Thor scanned in, so you can see the watermarks, you can see the brush strokes. It's amazing, and I—I I mean, I—I I saw him at San Diego last year, and I, you know we were catching up. I'm like, well, you know, I love you, but I can't shell out a hundred dollars for that IDW book. I just, I can't. I'm just, I can't do it. <laughs> Cheap. And he said, you know what, Sean? Give me your address. I'll send you a copy. Oh man! And you know what? It, it you know he was he was you know going to different conventions, but a couple of months later, like I got a package in the mail, and I opened it up, and I'm flipping through the book, and the book itself was just amazing. It was just like honestly, it was like a master class in looking at how an artist draws and how you can see the brushstrokes, you can see the areas where he you know made some corrections or edits and whited out figures. But I was going through it, and and in the beginning there was like this really great Thor portrait. And I'm like, wow, you know what? That looks so. And, he, and it said to my pal Sean. <laughs> and I said, and I was saying to my fiance, I'm like, you know, how the hell did they get that printed in the book? And she was like, no, honey, he actually drew that on a blank piece of paper in the front of the artist edition book. But wow. it, it just looked like it was printed in the book. It was just that professional. <sighs> so, and that just blew me away. Like I, I, I was like, well, you're choking me up here. I'm a grown man. You got me choking up. I'm. Re- it was so dope. So. I definitely recommend anybody get those artist editions because once again, it makes you appreciate what, you know, doing artwork the old fashioned way, what, you know, the, the technique and the artistry that goes into it. All right. Well, we've got so much more of you, Sean, a bunch more questions, but right now let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with some more fan bros. This is Juno Diaz. When I'm not making art for my community, I'm listening to fan bros. And welcome back, Internets, to this episode, very special episode. Sean Martinborough, artist of Thief of Thieves, many other things in the comics world, is here with us tonight. Been asking a lot of questions, got a few more for you. First off, like we said, Thief of Thieves is a very noir book. 
and <laughs> you got it, you got it, you got it, you got it. Close enough, right? The butcher name strikes again, and I just wanted to know. And it seems like that. I mean, obviously, you have a a book on how to draw comics in this style. What is your fascination with it? Well, you know, like growing up, like the you know, I used to buy you know all types of comics. You know, like I, I used to have like all of my Marvel comics that I would buy every week. And then you just you kind of gravitate to certain artists, and so you know Frank Miller popped out for as a guy who was using like a lot of shadows, like that Daredevil stuff he was doing when he was you know writing and drawing uh, Daredevil with Klaus Janson. That stuff just is like wow, that just really popped to me. You know, guys like maybe Bernie Wrightson. You know, I think yeah, this was Bernie Bernie Wrightson who did the first graphic novel, the X Men with Chris Claremont. God loves man kills. Uh, was that Bernie Wrightson? Ah. Uh... I'm. I know. I thought Bernie. I know Bernie from Conan more than that. You guys are supposed to be fan bros. You don't remember this stuff. I know Chris Claremont did God Loves Man Kill, but off off bat, I'm not sure. I'm, to... I'm, I'm pretty sure. Like I'm pretty sure. Like he did that. That that was the first graphic novel, and actually that was that was they borrowed elements of that from um, the new um, you know movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, Days of Future Past, but you know, like, but he had like a really sort of like a more of a realistic style. Bill Sienkiewicz, like when Bill Sienkiewicz was drawing the New Mutants, he had such a really artsy style, but he had these really strong shadows in his work. And guys like Kyle Baker, when Kyle Baker was doing the um, the shadow for DC, and like that kind of stuff really, like to me, it made the artwork pop. And so I started incorporating that into my own work using like a lot of shadows. And then, you know, like someone, people always like to slap a label on something. So like, oh, you know, you have a noir type style. And so I said, okay. Hey, that works. Cool. I got to know our style. And um, when it, when the, I got the opportunity to do the, the art book, um, I you know, you know they were like, okay, well, what should we call it? And they're like, well, you have a noir style. And so they came up with the, the title, How to Draw Noir Comics, The Art Technique of Visual Storytelling. And that, and I thought it was like a great opportunity to sort of let people into like my process in terms of how I use shadow, shadows and light. Because like, I, I love, I, I'll be a fan of artists who don't use shadow, like Mobius. You know, mm. or Barry Windsor Smith or someone like maybe like Mike Golden, you know, guy or even Art Adams. Like, you know, these guys like didn't really use a lot of shadows, but they use like really crisp sort of linear work. Um, but I really but I, I, I really gravitated to the guys that would use shadows. So for me, that's sort of how I as I as I began to develop my style, I started using a lot of it. And the art book was a great way to sort of let people into, you know, how I think that, you know, making shadows, using shadows will make a scene more interesting or more dramatic or just make the images pop. Because I think one of the things that I really like about a noir style, which is using shadows and light, is that it makes things come, you know, it makes things recede, it makes things pop out more without the use of color. So for me, like, I always look at my artwork as, you know, it should be able to stand, I think successful artwork should stand on its own without coloring without word balloons, you should be able to look at a, at a regular comic book page with no lettering and no coloring and know, know what's going on and, and really get a feeling of the emotions that are happening. And I think that shadows and light really help, you know, uh, make that happen. So that's why I use it a lot. Dope, dope. Yeah. And that's one thing I really wanted to say about Thief of Thieves is it's like one of the first, well, I won't say the first, but I read a lot of different comics and a lot of, you know, dark or noir books or whatever, but it's one of the ones that wasn't like Sin City. 
And that's that I really appreciated it because I've read a lot of books that seem to be just like, okay, Frank Miller did this for Sin City. I'm just going to do it. And I'll have a woman as the lead right, instead of a, a guy as the lead. But it's still all the same black and white. It felt like all the same shots. And Thief of Thieves isn't like that. It's like it's a it's a completely different thing while still maintaining that dark feeling and that grimy feeling of it. Was that like a conscious decision between you and Kirkman? Um, well, you know, Kirkman pretty much let me he let me do whatever I he let me do, let me do my thing. So when I started drawing the pages, um, you know, he just was like, I'm, I'm digging it. Uh, I, this this is really looking good. And so I just pretty much, you know, um, I, I was left to my own, you know, left, left to my own devices in terms of how I visualize the story. What's funny, though, is that, you know, when they had announced that Deep of Thieves was going to be, you know, considered for a television show. And so then whenever people would, would, would review the comic, they would be like, oh, yeah, well, you could tell that they're just this is just sort of like a blueprint for a TV show, it's just, they just did, even the way it's laid out, it's like, it's all widescreen panels, you know, trying to make it look like a TV show. And I'm like, well, that's kind of funny because if you've ever seen a comic book, standard comic book artboard, and that's what they call the, 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 the pages that you draw on, every company supplies you with artboards. So like, if you work for Marvel DC, DC, they will send you artboards because they want all the work, all the artwork to be in proportion and to be in the proper dimensions. So when they print it, you know, it, everything lines up. So they just, I, I think they just feel that it's just more, it's easier to sort of make sure everyone's on the same page and they provide their own artboards. So if you ever look at an artboard, it's, there are grids on an artboard that basically sort of suggest where to put panels. And so I was, I was like, you know what, since a lot of the pages that I was getting from Nick Spencer, who wrote the first arc, were four panels, I would just do these long four panel pages. And I, I'm a huge lover of film and TV. So of course, like I, I tend to think like that kind of a format, but it wasn't something like, oh, okay, we're going to make this look like a film and TV. You know, it was just me sort of following the grid on an artboard. And, you know, that's an applying my sense of design. And it's actually funny because I really started doing that um, uh, when I was working for Marvel uh, on, um, I did, I illustrated Luke Cage Noir for their Noir line. Mm -hmm. And Axel Alonso was the editor of that whole thing. And when I and Axel, you know, we had known each other back when he used to work for Vertigo. And then when he moved over to DC, to Marvel, um, you know, we reconnected. And he had seen my art book, and he was like, "Hey, man, I'm really loving the style that, that you have going on in this how to draw noir comics. Could you use the style and do Luke Cage in this style?" So I said, "Sure." And he said, "You know what? We're going to keep the panels, the pages simple. I don't want you to get complicated with overlapping panels or whatever." You know, we're going to we're going to keep it so that you're only you only have maybe four to five panels on a page max, which will give you room to breathe and really bust it out with regard to like the storytelling. So I was like, great. And ever since I started doing that with with Luke Cage Noir, I just kept up that format. So, you know, so that's why, like, all the panels tend all the pages tend to have four four panels. And then after Nick Spencer got into my we've gotten to a rhythm of working together when james asmus came on he was like hey man do you think i could slip in an extra panel <laughs> i was like james listen cool it's cool if you want to do six panels that's cool you know just don't get crazy and give me some marv wolfman george perez teen titans 12 panels on a page <laughs> or some watchman joint uh, you know but so i just so for the most part like that's i've been comfortable you know drawing and like with a four panel um sort of um you know uh, horizontal layout which is how that came about and it, but it's not just that that made to like I mean it definitely has a widescreen cinematic feel but it's also just that your art you have a you know you have a very good eye for 
angles. It's it's uh, you can't really say shot, you know, because it's a comic book, but it does have that feeling of being shot very well. You use like uh, force perspective and like perspective pulls even in between panels. So there's a lot of like cinematic touches to it that I really enjoy because I, I'm like you a very much film and TV person. So I really enjoyed all those little things. Oh, I appreciate it. I definitely keep in mind, like I'm a huge, uh, like one of my influences is Alex Toth, who is, you know, like a master draftsman and storyteller. Um, and he, he said something describing his process that I never forgot. He basically said, only draw what you have to. Hmm. And I was like, that's pretty interesting because like there, there'll be times where I'll be drawing out a panel and I'll spend a lot of time drawing like a figure and adding detail. And I'm like, you know, it would just be more powerful if, if I made that character a silhouette and I just black it all out. Mm-hmm. And nine times out of 10, it always looks better. And, and I think that artists that, that really are slick like that, and a lot of people mistake Frank Miller for doing simple stuff. Like his current stuff, I'm not talking about. I'm talking about like his, you know, his stuff like Sin City, like those first three Sin City collections where he was really doing some amazing design work in terms of like negative space, putting people in shadow, using like a really harsh light source. And I think people mistake that for like being like a simple thing, but I think those are really cleverly designed images, you know? And so I was always thinking like, you know, Alex Toth, only draw what you have to. Another contemporary guy that I love, I, every, whatever this guy puts out, pick up is Eduardo Riso, who drew, uh, who drew 100 bullets. Oh who, yeah, definitely. That guy Definitely. is amazing. And he is a prime example of the Alex Toth only draw what you have to because there, there's certain times where like there'll be things in silhouette and he'll put detail like, you know, in certain places, but then other places he'll go very simple. And it really makes sense because, you know, there, there's, certain, there's certain artists that, that throw everything in the kitchen sink, you know, like, and I, I can respect those guys. Um, I'm thinking about who's the guy who did, um, he works with Grant Morrison a lot. I'm blanking on his name. He did that book, We Three. Oh, uh, Frank Quiley. Frank Quiley. Now, Frank Quiley is the prime example Ooh. of a guy who draws. He, he like he does what I consider throws in everything in the kitchen sink. Yes, like you know every every detail is there. Like him, Jeff Darrow, those guys are amazing. Yes, you know. But at the same time, you know, I think there's something to be said for sort of letting the reader's brain fill in the blanks. And and I think that you know when you there's another like the artist um, is it David Aha uh, Aja who does Hawkeye. He did a very interesting... Oh, my God. Like, and, and, <laughs> and it's, it's amazing stuff. And yeah. he did a really interesting article where they were asking him about how he approaches backgrounds. And he was like, you know, I do backgrounds kind of... And I'm paraphrasing him. But he was like, I, I do them in a loose way. Because if you think about it, when a reader is reading a comic book, you know, you're reading, you're, you're reading the dialogue, you're flipping the pages, you're not spending that much time on the pages when you first read it especially not your average reader. Now, if you're into comics, if you're into art, you're going to spend more attention, pay more attention. But for the most part, you're going along with the flow. And he said that, so you don't really need to put that much detail because if you put a lot of detail in a background, that's going to sort of like stop them. It's going to slow up their pacing as they're reading it. And I was like, that's an interesting point. You know, kind of like if you look at impressionist artists, you know, if you look at their, their, if you look at their paintings from like a distance, they seem very tight, very detailed. But when you get up close, they're really pretty loose. So it's almost like a visual kind of a trick. And I think that there's something interesting with that. And I think that goes along with only draw what you have to, because I think that the reader, their brain will fill in the blanks and it'll make it like a much more enjoyable experience when their brain has to sort of fill in some of the blanks instead of putting everything out there on the page, you know? Well, most definitely. 
Well, you just mentioned 100 bullets, and that was another question I had. Besides Thief of Thieves, what are some other noir comics that you would um, recommend to readers out there? Mm, you know, there's so many. Like, you know, a guy whose work I've been a huge fan of for years is Mike Mignola. Yes. You know, his Hellboy stuff, amazing. You know, you go back, look at that Cosmic Odyssey stuff, groundbreaking stuff. A guy who doesn't get his due, and I don't, I don't think you would consider him noir, but he can do noir like at the drop of a hat, is Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. I know that name. Yeah. He is like he is a master. Now DC has had him locked up under you know lock and key on, as an exclusive for them for years. So you don't really see him do a lot of sequential work now. He does a lot of licensing work. So for example, if you go to a Walmart and you buy a pair of Superman pajamas, chances are that Superman is drawn by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Okay. He's he did like Atari Force back in the day. He did like one of the most amazing miniseries that DC is finally going to put out this December called Twilight. Not the movie with the vampires and the, and the teens. But that miniseries was like a three-part miniseries written by Howard Shakin. It's like one of the best pieces of, you know, storytelling I've ever read. So he's like a great guy. But current books out that I give props to, I love, um, I'm really digging um, uh, Starlight by Mark Millar and um, uh, Goran Parloff. Oh, I haven't gotten into that one yet. Goran Parloff, he like if you know if you want to pick up noir stuff, that guy's doing. He did amazing stuff on Punisher, Punisher Max series. You know he he did a, he did some he did this one Max series uh, with the Punisher going up against this big ghetto black guy named Barracuda. Oh God, it's one of the greatest series ever. Yeah, trust yeah, me. Yeah. But for, for 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 those that haven't read it, you literally have to pick up that Barracuda one shot or. Well, I think it may be like a. It's a mini series, the Barracuda mini series. You got the the stuff that they the shit that they got away with in that series. <laughs> I mean, they had him like he was like yeah, I think he was like buddied up with like a transvestite or a transsexual drag queen. Yep. It was just crazy, but but this but but the artist Goran Parloff was just amazing with what he was just putting down on the page. So he's also drawing like the current Starlight book with um uh, Mark Millar, who created kick-ass and uh you know some other stuff that's coming out i'm really digging southern bastards by um jason latour yeah um uh i'm trying to think of what else though what else currently i kind of tend to pick things up very sporadically because comic shops i'm not really near any comic shops so usually if i'm in new york i'll pick some stuff up i think the most recent thing i picked up that was great was um brian stelfreeze's black and white work on that boom comic book i forget the name of it um that that they're putting out it's like a creator i'm not sure if it's a creator on series but they actually did a black and white oversized version of like his first one or two issues which is gorgeous stuff and brian selfies is a, a very talented artist dope dope yeah. all right well fan bros hope you've been enjoying this episode we're gonna take another break and we'll be right back with some more fan bros show hey this is jamila from straight out of gotham and girl gone geek blog don't forget to like Fan Bros on Facebook and follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And welcome back, Internet. I hope you've been enjoying this special episode with Sean Martinborough. Very informative, all kind of knowledge about the comic industry, art, design, everything you'd want to know. But now it's time for the brap segment of the evening, our rapid fire questions. We have Sean in the hot seat tonight. Sean, are you ready? Hello, hello. I guess that's <laughs> very enthusiastic. <laughs> I guess that means you're ready. I'm here. All right. Number one, 
Black Panther or Power Man? Power Man. All right. Simple and easy. Okay. Noir Luke Cage or Luke Cage? Noir Luke Cage. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're playing favorites. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. You talk about a, a fly 1920s, 1930s style suit versus a yellow silk shirt with a metal tiara. Oh, he will never live that look down, boy. Like Luke Cage should go on for like 200 more years and that look will never go away for him. Yeah, okay. I'm sure you were rocking that look this past weekend. Right? <laughs> Never <laughs> in my life. <laughs> yeah, on 34th no, Street. Street. I seen him. I, I don't think Brooklyn's changing that much. <laughs> uh, all right. Falcon or War Machine? Hmm. You know, I'd probably say War Machine. All right. All right. Magneto or Professor X? Hmm. I'd say Professor X. Okay. Martin or The Cosby Show? <laughs> the Cosby Shows. Although, listen, Martin is a classic, and my sister and I quote lines from Martin all the time. But come on, but, but Cosby was more consistent. Definitely, definitely. Nino Brown or Scarface? I say Scarface because Scarface did more. Oh. He did more. Come on, you look at those two movies. Nino Brown never left Harlem. <laughs> Nino Brown never had an elevator in his house. Yeah, come on, come on. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, Nino Brown never went down to like what the what, what was it, Dominican Republic? Yeah. Colombia. He never seen, took a trip down to Colombia. Never seen a guy get hung out of a helicopter. There you go. Yeah. All right. One of the biggest ones. <laughs> there we go. Star Wars or Star Trek? That's tough. That's tough. Because I'm a big Star Trek fan. I'm a big Star Wars fan, too. You know what? Come on. God, that's tough, man. Come on. <laughs> you know, I all right. I'll say Star Trek. Yes! <laughs> and, and, Star Trek, and this is the thing. This is the thing. I got I to qualify this. Star Wars is a huge game changer, influence, blah, blah, blah. But Star Trek is more Star Trek than Star Wars. You talk about the you talk about the TV shows. You talk about Next Generation, Deep Space Nine. I won't mention any of the other ones that came afterwards. Oh. Right, but yeah, we mean everything as a whole, both for Star Wars and Star Trek. So as just a complete whole, old and new, all of it. Come on, like the, the, the they're they're better. There are more Star Trek movies of quality than there are Star Wars movies of quality. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Debatable. <laughs> I mean, you can you can say that Empire Strikes Back is like one of the greatest movies of all time. Yes. But that's only one of the first three. Now, no one's going to touch those new ones. No. No. So you only got three movies. Yeah, but how many does Star Trek really have? Search for Spock, my man. Excuse me, sir. Oh, oh, oh. You don't have any movies. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. Now wait a minute. See now, like, I, didn't, I know. Did William Shatner to... direct one of them shows? <laughs> <laughs> the, with the dolphins my, and the whales. Hold my phone. Hold my phone here. <laughs> when people go, when people take the easy route on on the wrath on the what the Search for Spock. Yeah. Search for Spock is one of the best films, and I'll tell you why. Okay, because most people don't see it like this. Star Trek 2, 3, and 4 are a trilogy. Yep. That's a trilogy that most people don't recognize. But 3, think about all the things that were introduced in 3 that influenced the Star Trek universe going forward. You had the introduction of the space station. You had mm -hmm. the introduction of the bird of prey. Mm -hmm. 
You had the introduction of um, what the uh, uh, the different types of ships, like what the Excelsior ship. Mm -hmm. Oh, the different uh, um, status. Yeah, 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 I know what you're talking the about. Yeah, yeah. The different classes and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The Klingons, what they were doing, the whole thing that they destroyed the Enterprise in that film. Yes. Stop it. There's nothing. <laughs> that, come on. Come on. Thank you. No, no I, I don't. I look. I don't even hate on uh, Search for Spock. I didn't know that I was hated on. I know a lot of people don't like the Voyage Home, but that's like sentimental to me because I. I saw that on Thanksgiving as a kid, and, and <laughs> it's you know, a great film. Yeah, I, I even like the Voyage Home. I, yeah, I even like the Voyage Home. So I don't know why people hate on that one either. But let's, but let's just take those three as a trilogy. All right, the first one, the first movie, I, I can see how that could be a little bit of acquired taste. It's still, I still, I still think it's a good movie. But let's just stick with two, three, and four. We'll skip over five. Mm -hmm. okay. Six was okay. They got a little jokey, jokey with it. Yeah. Generations, all right, that's kind of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's getting worse. You got the first contact, which they, they came back with that. Yeah, it was, it, it was lukewarm a little bit, I will admit. I mean, yeah. they're rehashing that, that familiar time travel thing, but okay, we, we they did a good job. They fell off then with, with uh, Insurrection. Oh, my God. Yeah. They, they fell off again with Nemesis, although <laughs> I will say that Tom Hardy's performance in that is, I, I love some of the dialogue that was written by John Logan for that movie. Yes. So there was so he had some good lines there, but that movie itself was kind of like blah. But then you got the new Star Wars, the new Star Trek films, which I thought the first move, the first reboot was great. And you know what? Even though I understand why people would not like the second one, I thought the second one was good. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I, I enjoyed all of them. Yeah. I mean, and then you, the new ones are gonna go back to the roots of the whole exploration. So yeah. we we have we have good stuff coming on. Let yeah, me. Come on. Yeah. Don't worry about him. Don't worry about him. We got this. Let me keep the dice rolling on this. What, <laughs> a, what about, what is your favorite noir film? Uh, that's tough. I don't have a favorite. Because I, I, for me, like, there's so many different examples. But if I had to choose, well, you know what? Well, everyone always chooses that film. But I was going to say, like, Godfather 2 or Godfather 1, which is a perfect movie. Like, I can watch that movie over and over. But if I'm going to go off the beaten path, but I'm going to go contemporary, I think that anything that Tony Scott, the director, the late great Tony Scott did for me is like I can I can inhale I can inhale his films. I can watch his films over and over and over again because they're just noir masterpieces in terms of contemporary. Great stuff. Anything David Fincher does, like I just finished doing a marathon of House of Cards season two. That is like gorgeous noir stuff. Gorgeous, like the, just the way the, the storytelling, the lighting, the pacing, just brilliant stuff. Like I just finished watching, doing a marathon of uh, rewatching um, True Detective. Mm. Ooh, yeah, you know, like and, and then then you could even go back to stuff like The Wire, stuff like The Sopranos. Yep. Um, you know, and then I, I touched on David Fincher. I you know I can you can say you know any 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 one of his films great. Like one of the films that that a lot of people sleep on, which I think is a great noir film. The game with Michael Douglas. Oh man, I've just been re it's been on cable a lot lately, so I've been rewatching it. That's I loved it as a kid, but yeah, that is a great film. It, yeah, and the thing is when they when they dropped it on Blu-ray, please. I was like the first one in line at Best Buy. <laughs> because so but stuff like that, like that that's those to me, I I'd probably say those are like, you know, great examples of, of contemporary noir films. I mean, you know, like since I'm like forty three, like I kinda go I don't go back so so far, but you know, you have the great Alfred Hitchcock films. Um, that are great. Got Citizen mm -hmm. Kane. You got the Sergio Leone uh, spaghetti westerns. The you know the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yep. You know, Once upon a time in America. You know, so stuff like that's just really great stuff. Definitely. Okay. What's your favorite comic book? 
Or run, you know, series, character, Arthur, you know, story arc, whatever. I always fall back on Avengers Annual number 10. You know, I met Michael Golden this year. I mean, last year at Comic-Con, and that was another one of those moments, man. I just had to go over him and be like, dog, you did Avengers Annual number 10. Like, thank you, bro. (laughs) That is probably one of, like, the greatest comic books ever done simply because of what he was, the storytelling he was doing. It was the first appearance of Mystique. And, I mean, they, and actually, no, 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 well, not, no, not Mystique, Rogue. Yep. It was like Rogue's first appearance. And Rogue basically beat the asses of the Avengers. Hell yeah. You know, I mean, just great stuff. But, I mean, that that probably, like, that. that's like my favorite, you know, back in the day comic book that's, you know, that's just a great book. So good. And I only recently found out about the whole controversy in it about, uh, Miss Marvel or Captain Marvel and, you know, the whole her being raped. And it's a long story, fan bros. But Google Avengers Annual 10 if you don't know about it because it's, it's oh, yeah. quite an interesting story behind that book. Oh, yeah. Because oh, I think they they showed her pregnant in that. She, it's been forever since I read it. But. She got pregnant. She got took off Earth by this alien space god who was also like her son who fell in love with her. And it was very, it was very rapey. And then in Avengers Annual 10, she comes back and basically curses out the Avengers for having let her do this. And it was basically the writer saying, cursing out the other writer for having this BS happen to his character. So, Uh, yeah, quite interesting. All right. Up next, what is your favorite TV show? I mean, like I said, I don't really have a favorite, but... if, if I already say like you know like one of like the one of the greatest TV shows series in terms of drama and style and storytelling, I got to give it to The Wire. You know it. Yeah. yeah not, not, I mean, there's not much you can say. You know. And I would and I would and the thing is, I always I would put it neck and neck with The Sopranos, but The Sopranos had those wacky dream episodes that disqualified. Mm. I, I, I'm not a fan of that technique where people dream and. You know, there were some episodes where Tony was dreaming, and I'm like, yo, you're really killing me with the dreaming. So so for that, The Wire gets it in terms of consistent, great storytelling. I know, but that one where he was dreaming and the fish started talking to him is like one of my favorite moments of television ever. You know, that was okay, but, but that episode <laughs> in like what was like one of the final seasons yeah. where he was running around and Annette Benning was there and <laughs> he was talking with like a regular accent. Yeah. And, nah. and, they, and they, had, they had the main storyline with Frank Vincent that you really wanted to get back to. And I'm like, why am I watching Tony Soprano in a dream? <laughs> you know, it's funny because I, I know um, Terrence Winter, the, you know, one of the producers and one of the writers. And I'm like, and I was doing a marathon of The Sopranos, and I emailed him. I said, yeah, Terry, you know what? I didn't realize that you wrote so many great episodes. Like, you wrote the one where, you know, like the um, the Pines Barren, where they get lost in the woods. Oh. Christopher and Paulie Walnuts. And I was just, I kept emailing him. I'm like, dude, this is like the best episode. And I was like, and I, I said, wait, wait, you didn't write that one of those dream episodes, did you? And, it, you know, but, um, yeah, but I, I just said, yeah, I got to give it to the wire. <laughs> All right. Uh, what would be your spirit animal? Okay, just explain that question. <laughs> if you had an animal to represent your spirit, what would it be? Who the hell came up with that question? <laughs> I mean, you know, I guess I'll, I'll I'll lean on the fact that I'm an Aries, so I guess I'll go with like what the the the, the ram or the bull. That'll Not, work. The ram. The ram. Okay, I'll go with the ram. 
All right. Spirit, uh, spirit animal. What the? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Who would you cosplay as? Yeah, I'm just too lazy to put on a costume. <laughs> I, I mean, I've been telling myself I'm going to get dressed up for Halloween for the past 10 years, and I just never do it. But let me see. A good cosplay costume. If you don't say anything, you'll be the first person who never answered. Freddy Krueger, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that works. No, I'll go with Freddy Krueger. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> All right. And the last question on the Brap segment, if you could have any one superpower, what would it be? The power of flight. Nice. Yes. Nice. That's my favorite. Yeah. Nice. Definitely. Like the boy who could fly, power of flight? Yeah. Like I, if I could just like fly over and to, to New York and right now, I'd be like, okay, who came up with that cosplay question? <laughs> <laughs> That's question. Like, that would be so dope. And then I get my answer and I fly right back here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like if you get the power of flight, that's the first use for it, right? Yeah, like find out who made that question. Like, knock on the door, like, excuse me, okay, who came up with the, the spirit animal question? Okay, thank you. I'm, I'm gone. And fly away again. <laughs> thank you, I'm gone. Poof. Right around a fly. Oh, wait, bamf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Sean, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. You survived the brap questions. You survived the regular interview. Where can the fan bros out there find you at? What projects should they be looking out for? All that good stuff. Uh, yeah, I think the next... Uh, actually, I'm going to be doing um, a lecture in... Um, uh, I'm going to be speaking at the Jeppe Museum uh, that's come in Baltimore. Those that don't know about it, it's a really amazing museum. It's the Jeppe Entertainment uh, Museum. And they have tons of comic book memorabilia that will blow your mind. Like, it's, it's right in Baltimore, right in the downtown... Um, section of Baltimore and they just have like the number one Spider-Man, number one Superman, so much great stuff there. And um, I was part of an exhibit that was um, co-curated by Michael Davis, who's a former teacher of mine. I used to take a, a cartooning class of his in, in the, um, New York City and he put together a, um, a gallery show and they featured some of my artwork and then they were like, hey, listen, we'd love to have you give a lecture. So I'm going to be speaking in August sometime. I'll give you guys the information so you can post it along. So I'm looking forward to doing that. Uh, I'm also going to probably be at the New York Comic Con. Uh, in terms of projects, Thief at These, we, you know, Andy Diggle and I have some really interesting stuff uh, that we have cooked up. And hopefully Kirkman will be like, yeah, guys, that's cool. Go ahead and do it. So a lot of great twists and turns. And, the, and like I keep saying, the body count is rising. Oh, don't tell me that, bro. I'm only on the second. And nobody really important to me has gotten killed yet. So I don't want to see. Yeah. No, no, no. We're cleaning house here. Oh, damn it. You know, all, all, uh, all debts are settled in this last arc. Wow. So, so that's, that's great stuff. I'm also working on a really interesting project uh, uh, that I'm co-writing with Joe Illage uh, called The Wren. Yep. Um, it's a, a graphic novel that's set in the Harlem Renaissance, and the artwork is going to be done by Gray Williamson, Brooklyn's own Gray Williamson. It's really uh, a project that I'm very excited about. Um, the way we pitched it to the publisher for second books is it's Boardwalk Empire meets Fame set in the Harlem Renaissance. Wow. And, it, and it really just uh, capitalizes, it really focuses on the whole Harlem Renaissance movement and uh, it, it, it's just a really great project. It's like historical blending fact with think, uh, fiction. So we're really excited about that. And that should be coming out probably late, probably in like the later part of 2015. We just gave in um, the script for that. So we're waiting to get feedback uh, from our editor. 
And then once we nail down the script, then Gray starts drawing it. And it'll be like over 200 pages. And the artwork that he's done so far is amazing in terms of character designs. So I'm really excited about that project, um, which is on the horizon. Most definitely. Yeah, we had Joe on here, and he talked about that and told us all about it. So we're definitely looking forward to that. Any Twitter, Instagram accounts where they can follow you or find you at? Yeah, you know, I, I am on Twitter. I rarely tweet. So they probably I've probably tweeted like maybe 10 times, but the, my Twitter is smartbro I think, at smartbro Okay. But uh, yeah, Twitter is just, it's just so tedious to me. I mean, <laughs> I'm sitting here picking my nose. <laughs> I just ate a Big Mac. It's hot out. Obvious just, day. You know what I mean? It's just like, like who, who gives a shit? Like, really? Who gives, who gives a shit? Really? But, but you know, hey, but some people is a good outlet. Um, but yeah, but they can, they can catch me on um, Twitter and they can always catch me on Facebook and, and, and they can always go to my website, seanmartinbro.com, uh, where I tend to post artwork and, you know, different interviews like this that I've done, which is always cool. Um, and yeah, so I guess look for more things to be coming out uh, from my company, Verge Entertainment. We're pairing, pair, pairing up with a bunch of interesting people. Um, so we should be announcing stuff pretty soon. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks yep. so much for coming on the show, man. You really hey, guys, thanks for, thanks really for having awesome. me. Really appreciate it. I promise for the next one, I will come up with a quicker answer for that cosplay one. You really <laughs> no problem. Sorry, slow to, sorry to slow to slow down with that one. No problem. That's what editing's for. <laughs> All right. Well, fan bros, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Fan Bros Show. This has been your boy, DJ Ben Amin, alongside Tatiana King-Jones and Blackwoman Speaker to fishes <laughs> and our special guest sean martin bro thank you so much to everyone god bless you and good night underwater ebonics <laughs> hashtag Fed Bros. Fed Bros.